0: Hello and welcome to this episode of the ESG Fitness Podcast with my co host, Andy. How are you?
1: Buongiorno. How are we?
0: I'm great. How are you? Yeah,
1: all right. I'm recovering after a, uh, the SD bug.
0: No, that's
1: never fun. No, it's not. Do you feel quite weak? Um, yeah, No, nah, not particularly weak. Just feel a bit bleh. Mm-hmm. Just. I, I don't know if it's I think everybody will be the same, but like being sick is the worst feeling in the world literally feels like you're dying it's horrible
0: it's so bad, but then when you feel okay again, you're like, this is the best thing ever <laughs> like you have a migraine afterwards, I'm like, oh god I just like everything is amazing like life is incredible like just feeling not horrendous is a bonus yeah. Um, <laughs> You can live off that. Right. We have so many excellent questions to get through. So I'll start with this. Hi, coaches. Is training in the evening bad slash suboptimal? From eight to nine p.m., for example, I seem to be full of energy in the evening. Always have been. I'm a bit of a night owl. But should I train myself to get up and go in the morning? The thought of going at 6.30am fills me with dread. However, I know scheduling morning exercises ensures you get it done, especially when people have kids and super busy lives. Life can get in the way and knock you off track in the evening. Social events are not scheduled for 7am. Well, that's a very good point. Um, Wondering if I should just suck it up and start training myself to get up and go, you guys seem to train in the morning, right? Thanks. Um,
1: I would say if things aren't broke, I wouldn't fix them. If you're managing to train at that time, there's no real reason to change it just because other people are doing so. Um, I I train at a range of times, whether it be first thing in the morning, whether it be kind of mid afternoon. Depends on when my sort of free time is. Um, but I wouldn't say that um, one. The only the only thing I would probably make mention is that later, the later that you train, the chances of you not getting to sleep for a while probably is much higher. Because obviously endorphin release, you know, a lot of dafties take pre-workout after eight o'clock, which to be fair, I can put my hands up and say, I can take pre-workout until about 11 o'clock at night and I'll sleep. Um, But yeah, if it's not, if it's not broke, don't fix it. If it if it, if it it fills you with dread having to get up at 6.30 in the morning, I would rather you got better sleep and sleep until the, a better time and do your training in the evening. So I wouldn't stress too much about it unless you have to be flexible and something comes up that you need to change your your training time. But again, you would just need to play that as it came.
0: I couldn't agree more. I think it's interesting because you're like, well, you guys train in the morning, don't you? And like other people train in the morning and you've kind of said here, like, you know, people who have busy lives or kids or a kind of force like that, if that's the only time you can train, then yeah, you're going to have to train in the morning. And like the point about there not being social events at 7am, like you're absolutely right. But as Andy's saying... If that isn't an issue for you, and I mean, if you came to us and you're like, I'm consistently missing my workouts because, you know, I plan them for 7pm or 8pm, but then I end up going for dinner or not having time to go or, you know, not wanting to go after work, then I'd be like, yeah, maybe scheduling them in the morning is going to be better so they get done. But if you don't have a problem with adherence, no need to change anything, there are benefits to training in the morning but it's more again it's like personal preference like I love mornings I love training in the morning I feel most energized in the morning I also think the exercise makes me feel more energized and I know that by 7 8 p.m like I am there is not much like energy left in me like I'm done I'm spent and but that's the way that I have structured my life now if I had to train in the evening I would just structure things differently and adapt to it like Everybody does, right? I used to train in the evening and I was absolutely fine. So I know I could do it. But once you're in a good routine of whatever it is that works for you, then I would just leave it as what works for you.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: And you do get people, you mentioned here you're a night owl, you do get people that are more night owls and more early birds. What's interesting is that most people assume that they are one or the other, whereas the vast majority of people are in between. And like, the reason that you're either a morning person or an evening person isn't so much to do with uh, whether you're like more on a biological level a night owl or a morning lark I think is the right term it's more to do with your habitual behaviors and that you've kind of trained yourself to wake up at a certain time or go to bed at a certain time so there is this like biological and actually quite like there's a genetic component to that but most people kind of sit somewhere in the middle so you can push yourself either way yep. okay next question hello is there any other ways to build muscle other than the gym not talking about a six pack and and defined muscles I understand you need the gym for that but would it be possible to make significant changes to your body from an aesthetic point of view with swimming or yoga for example then it says <laughs> this is so funny that you're shaking your head don't tell Andy that I asked this.
1: <laughs> the answer is no. Three
0: gym workouts is my non-negotiable this week. I absolutely love. <laughs> I she thought that. To be fair, this is on the thread from last week when I was saying that Shona and Catherine were coming on. <laughs>
1: nah, the the unfortunate thing is, is that resistance training is the the most optimal way to build muscle. Something like yoga isn't going to do. A huge amount in terms of building muscle. It's going to make you more flexible, a bit more mobile, probably. Um, but building muscle, no, nah, it's not going to work, unfortunately. And I get, I've had, because of the number the years I've been doing this, I always have this. This chat with people is like, oh, I play football twice a week, uh, so I don't need to train legs. Uh yes, you do. Unfortunately, it's not going to do any fucking use whatsoever. That was um, a great accent.
0: Uh, I don't like it. I don't like training legs. I, tr- I play football twice a week. I'm like,
1: yeah, you still going to have to train legs. Though. Yeah,
0: because that's exactly the same as the leg like, session. Okay. Yeah,
1: exactly. I also do many
0: lunges. My legs and... for most of the time. So <laughs> what? Like, I yeah. think the point here is you'll adapt so if you are going from doing nothing no exercise whatsoever and you start doing yoga or even swimming will you build muscle from that yes because your body is used to doing nothing right but very quickly it'll become adapted to that and then that's not really going to be much stress on it right this is a kind of a good point as to what i was just saying about walking around this is why just walking on your legs doesn't cause hypertrophy Like it does when you first start to walk. Like if you go from having broken your leg to walking on it again, then you'll start to build muscle just from holding your body weight on that leg. Yeah. But after a period of time, you'll become very adapted to that. So then you need to increase the stress, the demand on that muscle in order for it to grow. So, you know, to start with, and like as an example, like my mum started yoga. She definitely built muscle and strength from that. But is that optimal for hypertrophy? Like absolutely not. And you'll very quickly kind of saturate the benefit of that yeah absolutely okay next question hi lovely coaches I have two questions one I used to do CrossFit but I stopped at the end of last year because I was exhausted I used to go five to six times a week mostly at 6am and I didn't feel it was especially healthy for me as I had put on quite a lot of weight wasn't in tune with the competitive vibe anymore but i missed that feeling of really pushing myself to the limit and the sense of achievement when you do a really tough workout any thoughts on how i could replicate that
1: Uh, i suppose you could always look at potentially finding another because there's so many different um gym classes nowadays whether it be you know a lot of people i see a lot of folk are now doing sort of strength and conditioning style classes where you go in and you start and you, you lift weights as a group something like that might be worthwhile um but apart from that i would just suggest that maybe actually maybe a good shout is maybe to get yourself a training partner for the gym like we um we trained was it a week past saturday mm-hmm. a week past saturday and like you it doesn't matter. Doesn't matter how meh you're feeling. If you're training with somebody, you always up your game. It's always like shit. I better put another two or three kilos onto that lift weight that I'm lifting today because obviously it's. Uh, I'm I'm here. I'm here not to make up numbers. So yeah. Some sometimes a training partner's. Oh, I'm not saying sometimes all a training partner's always a good, and always a good idea.
0: Yeah, but, yeah. Um, if you could, even if it's one session a week that you meet up with someone and you do like your toughest session together or something. and then the other thing like I did a post about this today a lot of the time if you're used to doing say a 10 to 12 rep range you get stuck lifting kind of like oh I know what I can lift for lat pull down I'll just lift the same as last week and you don't you get in this routine of not really pushing yourself that hard that's why sometimes mixing up the rep ranges and I don't mean do this every week I mean like once every couple of months to be in like, oh, I wonder if I could actually lift 20 reps for the weight that I'm lifting 10 for. Because I did this yesterday, right? I was like, oh, basically I forgot straps for back day. And I was like, we'll just do higher reps. And then I was like, I'm just going to put, like, I'm just going to put the same weight on and see what happens. And I was like, we're going to do 20, 15, 10 reps instead of three sets of 10 to 12. And I managed to lift what I would normally lift for 10 to 12 for 20 reps. And I was like, wow, I'm really not, haven't been pushing myself that much. And I would say it felt hard on 10 to 12. Mm. If I can get 20 reps out, like I probably should be up in the weight. Right. So yeah. kind of testing yourself on that now and again. Another way I like to do that is just two more. Like, okay, so this week, can you do two more than than what you had like written down to do? And often you can. And again, it's a good sign that you're like, mm, I thought I was pushing myself, but like, am I really pushing myself? And if you add two reps to every single rep and uh, sorry, every single set that you do, like that really starts to bump up your volume as well. So, yeah, I think like in terms of pushing yourself, considering something like that, so you don't just get stuck in a comfortable like this is what I always lift. So this is what I go in and lift again. Um, and then, yeah, totally agree. Re having a training partner. The other thing to consider is that you don't have to go to CrossFit five to six times a week. To enjoy CrossFit, you could go and do one session a week and get your kick from that. Yeah, absolutely. I think so. I think it's
1: we talk about the the law of diminishing returns all the time. Too much is never too much burns you out. That's why you end up feeling like crap. I think as well, for when you're going into the gym, for me it's it's the um intent of going in as well so set yourself up to go in and train properly so you're not going in just to fanny around you're going into actually going and shift some weight push some potentially push some pvs and make up and, and do a hard session so the things that i always work out with this stuff is number one i know my program is before i go into the session so my program is god goes from my phone onto my my notepad. So I know the sets that I'm working with, the reps I'm working with. I generally look at the week before to see when I'm going to start with my weights. So I don't have to worry about fanning around trying to find what I'm going to be pushing. Number two is headphones in the ears and I've got a good playlist on so that the music settles me in and helps me push the intention that I'm there to actually train hard. Um, And as as, um, unsociable as it sounds, if I'm in the gym, I ain't talking to anybody, so I've resting bitch face on most of the time.
0: It's on my wretched, re- my bitch face?
1: That's what I've been doing since Sunday. <laughs> uh,
0: okay. Um, oh, second part of this question. I have a weighted vest, and I was wondering if I should wear it for steps slash short runs. Would it help with making these um, more effective in terms of fat loss? I used to comfortably run 5K with it might have to work back up to that thanks
1: to be honest i probably wouldn't um it's not going to make a huge amount of difference um and actually with a lot of things like that it actually puts more pressure through things like joints if you're running so you just got to be very careful about what you're loading yourself with um i would just pretend i would just focus on getting your steps in yeah. Um, folks can get our steps in. To be fair, if you're if you to be fair, if you're going to go and do like a, a hike, you would probably be using a heavy bag anyway. So something like a you know, something like that going out for a hike might be more worthwhile than going for a walk with a a weighted vest on. So
0: yeah, I also think it turns it more into like one of the reasons that we focus on steps as opposed to like giving you all cardio targets to increase expenditure is so that you can do it within your normal life as opposed to like oh I'm going home getting my weighted vest on going for a walk just to get steps, just to burn fat and then you have this relationship with exercise where you're like I just exercise to lose fat versus yeah. I want to get outside it's a beautiful day I want to go for a walk or I'm gonna walk to the train station instead of normally driving there or I'm gonna walk and have a coffee with a friend like You wouldn't be like, oh, do you want to go for a walk with our coffee and weighted vest? Maybe if they're friends from CrossFit, maybe. Right. But I think the whole point is it just what we want is you to have more active lives. That's why we have the set targets. So I think it kind of takes away from that. In theory, would you burn more calories if you're carrying something heavy, whether it be a backpack or a weighted vest compared to just walking? Yeah. So that's right. Not going to deny that. Um, I agree with Andy, Read the running and like putting more pressure through your joints and it just not being comfortable or yeah. enjoyable. As, as the
1: thing not is, the, big, big the biggest one that you've mentioned there is about steps and steps are an amazing way to break down your day. For me, I use them as a bit of meditation, actually. It's me in the fresh air, out with the dog, clear my mind, have the stuff that I need to be thinking about. And that's generally when I'll do like... I still can't get down onto journaling onto paper. I do it on my phone as I'm out walking, so that's my sort of downtime and my respite from being away from the desk or being away from work. So try not to exactly as Emma mentioned, try not to tie in steps as being a necessity for fat loss because they're 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 an addition, if anything, and there's so much more than just calorie burn.
0: Yes. Okay, Lucy, C-section pouch. I've now had mine for nearly nine years. It's an area I can't seem to shift. It's not majorly bad, but seems to be an area that remains flabby and a little saggy. I'm painting a great picture of myself, aren't I? What's the best advice for this? Continue with fat loss more or with more ab exercises or what's the alternative? Thank you in advance. So the answer to this is it sounds like that is in fact skin because you've had a baby and the skin has stretched and now it's come back right like or will come back to not being pregnant that's completely normal you can't diet away excess skin and you see a lot of people kind of over dieting or putting so much pressure on themselves because they have some excess skin like there's literally nothing that you can do about that aside from surgery so you either choose to accept it or and normally you can kind of tell whether it's skin or fat like If you reduce the amount of fat that you have, yes, the, I guess, quote unquote, not what I'm saying, flabbiness of your stomach will reduce. But on top of that, you can't choose where you lose fat from. And then when you think about going through menopause, especially if you're not taking HRT, some of your fat does redistribute to being stored more centrally, so around the middle. So you can, again, see an increase in abdominal fat or where you're storing your fat. Um, so those are all considerations but this this is quite a common question that we get like oh I've still got some I I don't know flab or saggy like stomach area and like if it's skin you can't diet that away unfortunately not it's just it's no amount of ab exercises are going to help that either
1: yeah I had I had a question like this on my Instagram the other day about um about uh, uh What the hell am I trying to
0: say? What are you you saying? It's absolutely
1: gone. I actually wanted to add something
0: here because I just, I kind of reread this. C-section pouch especially because there will be some scar tissue and your skin will sit differently because you've had a C-section, right? So you can't expect it to just be completely flat.
1: Yeah, I think that's it. It's, um, It's one of those strange ones where... As much as we would like to be able to help with certain things, at times there just isn't. And I think the biggest thing with this kind of stuff is coming to terms with it and understanding that the reason that you have it is because you've had a child. That's a fucking massive thing. Like, so it's like, what is it they always used to say? Probably worth it, right? Yeah, exactly. The scar, chicks dig scars. Yeah. Pain heals, glory lasts forever. That's the way it goes.
0: Yeah, it's like a it's cool it's a cool scar. yeah exactly I think
1: it's we come to be, I think a lot of it is like you know it, a majority of fat loss is extremely slow and unfortunately for a lot of people there are certain things that just won't shift unfortunately and it's tried to get their the mindset or the head around that fact and unfortunately for a lot of people it's quite tough to deal with but that's kind of why we're here is we're trying to give you a little bit more help with managing these thought processes
0: Okay, next question. This is from one of my one-to-ones. Just wondering if you have any tips on dealing with afternoon hunger cravings, probably triggered by old habits rather than being... Oh, no, wait, we answered this last time. Sorry, ignore. Okay, right, we're going on to the new thread. Are you ready? Let's do it. This one has five likes already. Right, okay. Sarah, what are a few tips to keep on track whilst on holiday? I'm happy to pause weight loss while away but want to come home feeling healthy and not lethargic or legret- reg- regretful? regretful.
1: Le regretful,
0: she's went French. Or maybe she's going to Paris. Ré Paris. Um, I often can be a bit all or nothing and I find holidays tricky. I don't want to overcomplicate things. so I was thinking of one, the majority of the time focusing on lots of protein, fruit and veg. Two, selecting one meal slash treat per day that I really like or that I'm craving and enjoying it mindfully and then moving on. Any other tips would be great. Also, sorry if you've answered this question before, is there a particular podcast that discusses it? Let me know, I'll have a listen. We've answered all questions, like let us be real, we've answered all questions before. Um, I'm sure if you search ESG Fitness and Holiday, lots of stuff will come up, but we're always happy to answer again. And I actually think that approach sounds brilliant. I think Figuring out which meals are most sociable as well. Like, I don't know who you're going on holiday with or what it looks like, but often, like, getting up early, maybe even doing a workout some days or going for a walk or making sure that your, like, breakfast is mostly, like, I don't know, something like maybe fruit and yoghurt or something. You're going to have that as, like, a standard most mornings. And then maybe at lunchtime you have something lighter and at dinner you, you know, have whatever you want and indulge and try all the things that you want to try on holiday. But again, as you've said here, like, have it mindfully. Remember that, you know, the first two slices of pizza might be a puck yes. And you're like, yes, this is absolutely worth it. I'm loving it. But the third one might not be right. And the poisons in the dose a lot of the time. Well, all the time, really. So have a bit of pizza, enjoy the hell out of it. But realize that the cost benefit is no longer swaying in the way of having an extra slice of pizza by the time you've had three and you've got 95% of the joy of that pizza from two slices not from the whole thing. Yeah. I, th- I think that I think
1: um the tick list that they've already put is perfect and exactly as you said work out where your sociable meals are um and just make good choices I think as well enjoy your holiday like so many people freak out about going on holiday because oh my nutrition. Yeah, I get why you're freaking out, but at the same point, why are you freaking out on a time where you're supposed to be relaxing and enjoying yourself? The idea at the moment is is to push yourself back to, from the majority, is to push yourself back to maintenance for potentially even a small surplus over the time you're on holiday. Like, it's holiday. That's the whole reason that you're going away. You're going away to enjoy yourself. You're going away to eat a little bit more. So realizing that those two weeks – those two weeks in the grand scheme of things, when there's fifty two, we even
0: though it might be a week, she's not sad. Yeah,
1: for a week, you know, you have fifty two weeks in a year. One week, what's one week? It's not really very much. It's one
0: week, Andy, it's Seven days.
1: Seven days out of three hundred and sixty five. It's, it's yeah. minutia, but we we do get really freaked out. It's the same thing as having had a. Um, I think I committed to six checking in the weekend was sort similar. You know, I oh, had a really heavy weekend and I put this such and such on. I'm like, yeah, yeah, just give it a wee minute. Give, give it a day. It'll come back off. i like, it's dropped down two pounds already, food volume. You know, and these these things happen. And I think a lot of it is that emotional beating of yourself that then spirals you into just eating like a dick for the rest of, as soon as you're back because, oh, what's the point? I'm done. I'm just going to chuck it all now. Rather than going, right, let's take this. Let's, let's play the smart game. Let's just see what happens over the next few days when I get revert back to, I think actually probably that's my number one. My number one tip is remember when you come back, you're back on plan. That's the best way to look at it. The day that you come back is the day that you go back to back to your calories, your protein, your steps, your training, and that's it. If you allow it to overrun, then things may start to get a bit interesting. But if you can make sure that you have that set date that you're back in, head's all
0: in place. Yeah, it's never the holiday that has any long-term impact on your progress it's your response to it and then I think even during it like remember exactly what I said that you get most of the enjoyment from the first few I don't know bites of the ice cream or like don't be afraid to be like no actually I don't need to finish this whole thing I only wanted a taste of the pudding and Mm -hmm. I got a lot of enjoyment from that and now I'm full and I don't need to finish it or the portions are really big and you're like yeah I want to try that but I didn't need to eat all of it because yeah. Um, and then I think remembering as well, like a lot of people do go a bit all or nothing on holiday, it's actually not that enjoyable. And then you beat yourself up about it. So just choose yeah. your indulgences, enjoy them guilt-free, and then get back on track. And in between those times, like you will feel so much better if you get out for a walk, if you eat the vast majority of the time relatively healthy foods, don't overeat, don't gorge, don't make yourself feel unwell, don't massively over drink, like. Think about what you want from the holiday and realize that you don't need to overeat on calories to achieve that. It's probably like memories with whoever you're going away with and trying some nice new food. But that doesn't mean throwing your diet out the window. And exactly as Andy said, it's about getting back and getting back on track. And it's actually relatively easy when you're on holiday because the environment is so different and then you're coming back to the same environment that you're in now that hopefully you've already built good habits and routines around and when you're out of that it's like well this is so far removed from what i'm doing that then you can just come back and start straight back into it i think what's harder is when you slowly get out of routine or into like bad habits yeah in your home environment because then you're like this is staying here so i need to make sure i change
1: absolutely
0: oh okay Suzanne saw Sarah above I'm going on an actual cruise not just for a week but for two it's very difficult to get past the getting your money's worth mindset when there's so much lovely food it's endless on a cruise too uh what does that say traumatizing almost breakfast, (laughs) lunch, afternoon tea, dinner, supper I won't do all those obviously as it's obscene, oh wait, Adley, you've been on a cruise, right, I'm going to finish this, then you can tell me, and I don't find it enjoyable, as you'd never actually be hungry, however, that's another really good point, like, you know, when you start to realise, like, I really like not eating after lunch until dinner, because I like being hungry before dinner, and then I enjoy it so much, versus if you're always, like, kind of full, or you never let yourself be hungry, like, you actually don't enjoy food half as much anyway good point Suzanne however do I try to track or do I just be mindful and choose my indulgences there's a gym on board and with a seven days at sea I do plan on going as I enjoy it and sometimes and sometimes it's something to do to be honest I find it difficult to sit and do nothing okay on this point just before I forget I think when there is literally food everywhere and it's kind of like all you can eat pick it up whatever you want blah 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 you don't need to track as in put it all into an app and figure out the exact calories because one you won't know how like you can't it because it won't all be on an app but what I would do is have a note section and write what you eat because it's very easy like when I go on holiday same sort of thing it's like you're out of routine you're eating at different times and before you know it you kind of like oh I had breakfast then then we went out for coffee but we also had this and then we had that and it's like wow that added up to quite a lot like I you know if, if you if at the end of the day you hadn't done that and I just said what did you have today You'd be like, oh for breakfast I had this lunch I had this then I had a snack then I had dinner and It's like, actually you also had five coffees and these biscuits and blah 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 like it all adds up so I would just keep a track of what you're eating not the calories in it which you won't know anyway that kind of goes whether you're on a cruise or on holiday or not like I think people are so fixated on the numbers when it comes to calorie tracking, not realising that actually the main benefit is just being more mindful and accountable to what you're eating, as opposed to the exact numbers in them, which as many people have pointed out recently are not accurate. But the point I think they get wrong is it's not accurate. So it's pointless. Like, no, no, there's still a lot of point doing it. Just don't fixate the numbers. Absolutely. But, right. Continuing. Also, I'm only a pound or two off my preferred weight, so that makes it difficult not to think, sod it. What does it even matter? It's striking the balance between enjoyment and guilt, though. Do people take the scales on holiday? Absolutely not. No. I sometimes Ooh. think it would be helpful as when I'm not uh, worrying about an unknown potential weight gain or taking this the scales psychotic or is taking the scales psychotic. End of word vomit. Thank you. Yeah, do not take the scales. Also, they won't work on a cruise ship. This is the sort of thing serial killers do.
1: <laughs> now I was on a cruise over Christmas, and it's again, it's you can't track anything because you have no idea how it's cooked, what it's cooked in, what the ingredients are, etc. Be mindful about what you're eating. If you're going to use the gym, use the gym. Don't be in there seven days a week though. Take a couple of days off as you as you always would. Don't don't think that you have to do something every single day. Get your steps in. There's always there's always a walking track around the top of the boat that you can get your steps in. Although don't program that in on your um, on your smart your smartwatch because you'll end up sounding like you've like walked about forty thousand miles. <laughs> Laura did a run around the boat and she did something ridiculous like eighteen miles in like the time it would take to normally do like four because the boat was moving as well.
0: Oh <laughs> so wow! That,
1: that tracks that movement as well so yeah so um but yeah don't don't stress about it and definitely don't take a set of scales that's just that's crazy chat like get that right out your head straight away
0: that uh, reminds me of remember in lockdown when people started doing like you know people got really into exercise and be like people started doing their, their 5ks and stuff and whatever and then you'd get people that were just making up times right but if you don't <laughs> know like how to make up a time like you know something that's relatively <laughs> like plausible and it would be like some 25-year-old, he's like, yeah, I've just started running, and it's, like, faster than Mo Farah's British record, and you're like, oh, no, yeah, well done, mate, like, that seems, like, at least, I smell bullshit! At least make your lie, like, a little bit, believable. I at least go, or, like, maybe, like, third or fourth place, not not world, yeah. not world champion stuff. So I just ran a world record on my first 5k. <laughs> um, yeah, I think the only other thing I would add is when you were talking about balancing enjoyment and guilt kind of back to what i was saying before enjoyment isn't the same as massively overeating and you will not enjoy massively overeating actually you know taking the pressure off and saying you know i'm going on a cruise and it's going to be a cruise week so coming up to around maintenance again you don't need to or will know these specific numbers keep a track of what you're eating but choose your indulgences and enjoy them and then when you're back, you're back on track, right? And I think the important point to note here is unless you're someone who's like, yeah, eight times a year, I go on cruises and I've got this fat loss goal. I'd be like, right, we need to kind of figure out how we're going to balance the two of these and have like a proper plan for this. If this is two weeks out of the year and you only go on like, I don't know, two to three holidays a year, then it's really not that big of a deal. And you're not going to go crazy with it because actually if you're if your soul... Um, aim coming into this is memories and enjoyment. Overeating is not part of that. Like it won't be more enjoyable, and you'll regret it. Right. So, choose your indulgences, enjoy them. Rock and, on. And rock on. Okay, Brogan. Why am I always hungry the week after my period? Everything I've read suggests you have cravings on the period slash ahead of the period. But the week after, I can't concentrate as I want food the whole time. I have to really fight it. This is interesting. And you're right. Most people will crave the week before or like the start of the week of. But you're not most people. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) All of like all the research is based on averages. This is what we find on average, right? There will be some people who don't respond in that way. There's nothing wrong with you. There's probably no like physiological reason for that i mean you could make one up you could be like hey maybe you lost quite a lot of um blood energy during your uh bleeding phase which means that afterwards your your body's kind of craving a bit more food it could be to do with that it could be that's craving a bit of iron yeah. um, but also i think with a lot of these things like people just come up with theories to to make it make sense like there might really not be any reason you've noticed that about yourself right that means that maybe that week we bring calories up a bit or we make sure that you are absolutely nailing protein and you're getting in enough food volume and you're having big enough meals and you're kind of snacking less and focusing on like building your meals that are big enough to actually satiate you. But yeah, it doesn't, doesn't, in that respect. I was reading something really interesting today and I will come back and talk about this at some point. But it was about, well, it started off Obviously, this is what happens when you start reading something on PubMed, you're like, oh, I start on this. And then, like, suddenly you're like five miles away down a hole. Just deep <laughs> so anyway, I started looking at the effects of creatine uh, uh, during menopause and postmenopause, which is really interesting. But then I was looking at the effects of, well, the rates of like creatine, the amount of creatine storage and the rates of creatine kinase synthesis at different stages of your menstrual cycle and how actually supplementing at a slightly higher dose at certain phases of your cycle i think when estrogen is lowest yeah no that makes sense um might have some benefit and again how that translates to menopause is if estrogen is low then more beneficial to supplement with creatine and then there was a whole load of research and theories and the kind of crux of it at the end was especially for peri or post women especially if you're not taking hrt Some of the main side effects are reduction in muscle mass, reduction in muscle function. And creatine can, to an extent, augment that, right? So reduce the negative impact of oestrogen, or lack of oestrogen on muscle mass maintenance and function. So it's even more important to be taking it at that time. And then what was really interesting about this, and kind of goes against, although I'm not, take this with a pinch of salt at the moment, and I will come back and talk about it when I've figured out my mind on it, But there was some suggestion that taking a lot higher doses for women was useful. So it was like up to like, I think it was the equivalent of, for me, it would have been 18 grams a day. So it's like 0.3 grams per kilogram body weight.
1: Funnily enough, you should mention that because that's something that I've been doing a bit of reading about obviously bodybuilders and assistants and at low estrogen points they superdose creatine as well yeah. so it probably makes a lot of sense in that department too
0: yeah i think this was more to do with the way that women store creatine versus men yeah which was interesting and then there was another study that i then went on a side note too showing that it's very very unlikely for women to experience water retention with creatine because we saw it in a slightly different way than men do Mm. and then it kind of adds to that that even if you think about like the ability to store creatine is is largely dependent on how much muscle mass you have and women generally are smaller people and have less muscle than men so again if there's less stores to be filled, then there's going to be less water retention as well. Do you think it
1: might be from like old school an old school source that the water retention things come from? Where potentially people competing back in the sort of 70s and the 60s and stuff like that. Obviously creatine's been around for a long time and it's been obviously studied for a long time as well. Um that they kind of just put two and two together. And blamed the fact that they were looking a bit watery on the fact that they were still taking great team while they were competing. You never know these things because they're still, as you it say. It is
0: funny. Like, I remember there was a bodybuilder at, one, at a gym that I used to train at. And he was like, I don't know, six weeks out or something. And he was like, oh, yeah, I'm just holding a bit of like water retention here. Like, that's all that needs to go. And I'm like, that's fat that's body fat that's fine but like that's not like that's not water retention like you are still holding some body fat because you're six weeks out from the show fine Yeah. bodybuilders love saying that oh yeah it's just just holding a bit still a bit of water i'm like funny that that water is jiggling around like (laughs) like fat tissue i don't remember water being solid unless it's frozen (laughs) um okay caitlin how to eat well when you're tired through no fault of my own, i.e., oh, a bad word. Who said Those Bastard, bastard, bastard children. <laughs> um, I find that's I what couldn't... I was. <laughs> hey, me too. <laughs> the best of us are. Um, I find my cravings are off the scale, and I'm just using food to survive the day. Very hard to ma- maintain any control. Thanks. As simple with anything as as
1: planning and prepping is if you can plan and prep, I know it's tough obviously to do it around kids, et cetera, but if you can plan and prep your meals prior to when you're going to have them, say for instance, on a Sunday sit down and try to batch cook a set amount of meals for two or three days, have them on or have a little food diary that you have on a little whiteboard. This is what I'm having today. If you can take the thought process out of that, it makes it so much easier. Um, It's the decision fatigue, especially when you're tired after chasing around said bastard children, um, for a whole day, it's going to be tiring. And by the time you get to six o'clock and they've, they're have they having dinner and you're like, shit, what am I going to have for dinner? And it's going to be the quickest thing that you can find or you're going to pick up the scraps of what the kids have eaten or you're then going to probably not eat very much and then binge but afterwards. So making plans and prepping things and putting them in place, um makes more sense or makes a lot more sense when it comes to helping your head sort of get around the sort of decision fatigue stuff
0: yeah you also need to think about food choices and i know that you won't be craving hmm, a healthy chicken and veg casserole or something like but even if you trick yourself a little bit right so i do this quite a lot of myself i'm like yeah if you still want to i don't know eat a whole thing of kettle chips in the morning then you can have them right so you're not telling yourself I can't have this you're just saying if you still want it in the morning you know when you make better decisions when it's not 8 p.m at night and you've already eaten already enough for the day then you can yeah and I think with this in this situation what I mean by that is eat the healthy nutritious food that you know you should be eating first and then if you still want a chocolate bar have it but have it when you're full, not when you're hungry, right? So don't go for that first of, oh, I just want a little snack. Be like, no, I'll wait, I'll have my lunch, and if I still just want a little snack, then I'll have the cereal bar or whatever it is you're snacking on. But exactly as Annie's saying, like, still base around decent meals, and you'll find that actually you snack less, you're less hungry, and the cravings are far less when you've actually, you know, had enough protein had enough food volume in there i was talking to one of the afm coaches today because she had a name for her program and i was like i freaking love it and it was like eat more to get lean i was like oh i just think people don't think about this enough like you can and probably should for the vast majority of people not everyone depends if you're already nailing protein and food volume maybe not but most people should eat more on their diet and When people hear that, they're like, what, more calories? No, not more calories, more food. More food, but less calories, right? More food volume, more protein. That's going to make you far more satiated. And a lot of people are like, oh, I tried 1,600 calories before. It was too low. I just couldn't stick to it. No, no, your food choices were probably rubbish. Like, this is why we give you the skeleton plan. Because if you do that and then you add on top of that the stuff that you enjoy or bulk it out, then... You probably won't be hungry even on 1600 calories, right? And there actually isn't that much difference between 1600 and 1800 calories. And you can be way more satiated with sensible food choices on 1500 calories than not very sensible food choices on 2000 calories, even though yes. you've got a 500 calorie difference there. Yes. Okay, right. yes Hi, I really want to gain muscle and I know more about sorry and know more about resistance training right well you're in the right place with Andy um I'm skinny and frail and I want to feel strong I'm eating well I'm doing my training I really want to and I don't I really don't want to give up I know I won't see results immediately but I can definitely tell the difference from when I started last month my question is sorry my question is a general one about gaining muscle and if you can talk a bit about that I also have a specific one about exercises. Some exercises suggest a decrease in reps and increase in weight, and others increase in, reput- in repetition. Why is that? Okay, so I'll answer that because I programmed all the workouts. When you're decreasing the reps and increasing the weight, um, it's mainly just to see if you can lift a bit heavier. Uh, and how- I normally do that around compound lifts because I want you to do a few lighter sets at maybe like 12 reps and then go up to heavier sets with lower reps and you normally when you're decreasing the reps you can kind of see how heavy you can lift and it forces you to push that weight up a little bit and not as we spoke about before not get comfortable just in a 10 to 12 rep range the higher rep exercises are normally ones that are more geared towards that so it might be like flies or I don't know bicep curls or lateral raises where I'm not going to be like oh let's do your six rep max lateral raise like it's just not a muscle group that's or an exercise that's conducive to that kind of rep range yeah so that's why that is uh andy do you want to talk about building muscle
1: building muscle and just in general
0: well yeah i mean i don't know where you start with that but
1: basically obviously building muscle obviously requires you to be in a surplus of calories so at the beginning, if you're a newbie, you can get away with it. You can get it into a deficit and also maintenance, but your more optimal position is going to be a, a surplus. Um, and I'm not talking about stupid surpluses either. We're talking about it could be a, a minimal surplus. But the resistance training side of stuff is obviously the stimulus of where muscle is built. It's the it's basically the, the tearing and destruction of muscles to be regrown and repaired slightly bigger, slightly stronger. Um and the obviously the most frustrating part of it is is that muscle is extremely slow to build. It's, I'm going to put it out there it's slower than fat loss, much slower oh, 100%, than
0: fat loss. percent. Yeah.
1: Um, it's also probably a much harder goal than fat loss because there's so many more issues to get your head around, um, things like not worrying about scale weight um understanding that progressive overload doesn't happen weekly or first once you get to a certain point won't happen weekly um so the kind of things you've got to think about are a getting your nutrition right where it needs to be um making sure that you're training that you're following the program i think for the majority of people building muscle you need some form of routine to your program this whole going into a gym and just Hoping that the poping muscle will grow by going and randomly doing exercises it just doesn't work. Um, you need to have enough time to repair and recover. So you do need a couple of days, minimum of a couple of days rest a week for your body to adapt, for it to repair, to recover, to be able to kickstart again for the following week and to get pushing the weights again. Um, but yeah, it's 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 a very simple, it's a very simple process. But also a very nuanced process at the same time. There's so many, so many, um, th- so many things that you could cover in this topic. It's probably a podcast, above about 15 podcasts in itself. To be fair, um, but the basics you need to know is that you're doing your resistance training, you're ticking your boxes in nutrition, you're ticking your boxes on your recovery, and um, keeping at it consistency. It's the same with all of it,
0: and sleep, and I guess eating enough as well it depends on your start point but if you're starting as quite like you mentioned here you're quite frail um yeah you said in your own words again not something I would say about someone else but skinny and frail you need to make sure you're eating enough like you can't build muscle like without any energy to build it you can't build something from nothing so you need to make sure that you're in a bit of a surplus from that point and I think this is where people get confused because sometimes we're like you can build muscle in a deficit Yes, if you have a lot of fat to lose, but you can't if you're very lean, right? Yeah. So there's a distinction there. So with you in particular, I would say make sure you're in a surplus, and then exactly as Andy's saying, and like sleep is a huge part of this as well. Like recovery is so important.
1: Yeah, I think the I think um, I, this has been come up quite a lot in a lot of check-ins in one-to-one committed and commit over the last few weeks about things like sleep routines. I think a lot of people are kind of under or starting to click with the fact that sleep is, is important, which is good to hear. And, um, and I got asked this, I think I got asked this from one of my one to one clients. If I have a sleep routine and my sleep routine is real basic stuff. My sleep routine is 10am bed. 10pm p- bed. Sorry. I, this is his party time at 7am job, isn't it? 10pm bed. Uh, I'm up at five. Um, I have um, all the oil on my pillow to help me sleep. That's basically the two things that I work with. I don't do anything else. Whereas a lot of people have got like loads and loads of little bits, like a hot shower potentially. There's loads of ways that you can you can get an, a good sleep routine. Um, and it's about finding what works for you. Uh, so I can be on my phone until 9.59 and then 10, a.m., 10 p.m. comes. 10 a.m. comes. I've lost 12 hours being on my phone. Um, 10 p.m. comes and I'm out like a light. Because that's time I go to bed, so it's um you just need to find what works for you. And sleep is a huge is a massive um part of the sort of recovery um process when it comes to building muscle, but also for fat loss and for maintenance as well.
0: just life, really Life okay, we'll make this the last question. Jillian, I work in the world of menopause, and I hear a lot of complaints about weight gain, often after taking HRT, despite there being plenty of evidence to the contrary. Leading to a consultation about weight loss slash maintenance. After reading your tips on, oh, sorry, after reading your lifestyle tips for menopause, I'm advising ladies to reduce their carbs slightly and follow and focus on increasing their veg and protein intake. Since then, I'm now getting a lot of questions about how many carbs. Do you have a recommendation, approximately, daily carbs or uh, for this specific group of women, assuming they have no other health complaints who want to control their weight or should it really be done on an individual basis? Thanks. So, no, I don't. And the reason for that is that when you give people carb targets, they stop eating fruit or they start thinking, oh, gosh, you better not have another, like, you know, it's got too much sugar in it. Yeah. Or or they start, you know, because food isn't based on, you know, like the the benefit of the food that you're eating isn't based on the carbohydrate intake. So when you give someone a carb target, you tell them to limit carbs to a certain amount, they'll often start limiting fruit, which is obviously not what you want. And it's very good. And that's why in the in the tips that I've given, I've said limit starchy carbs. And again, there's no reason that you can't eat starchy carbs. It's just a very easy way to reduce calories without ramping up hunger, right? And then increasing food volume as well because what I want you to replace those starchy carbs with is more fruit and veg. Um. So no, I don't. I, just, I would just focus on reducing the amount of starchy carbs that people are having as opposed to being like, stick to this carb number because then people fixate on that and that then becomes a problem in itself. And then they start basing how good or bad a food is based on the carbohydrate content. Which is my clear of mind. After that, well, especially now that you can monitor your glucose response to food, and now there's this whole—I mean, like Zoe definitely doesn't help, but the glucose goddess certainly doesn't help as well. Where they just show graphs of like, oh well, I mean, a good example of this is if you eat an apple, you will have a bigger glucose response than if you eat an apple smothered in fat. Like if you smother your apple in coconut oil coconut oil or peanut butter your glucose response will be lower right but you will have eaten a ton more calories what do you think is better for fat loss covering it in fat or and having a like you know a lower glucose response to that because gastric emptying will be lower or not covering it in fat but oh look glucose has gone up and that's completely normal like it is a normal response to consuming food right that has carbohydrates in it so don't base your diet based on your glucose response to food, it is a ridiculous thing to do, and there is no is, evidence. Is that actually a, is that a thing again? It's really popular at the moment, I think. Because so much- why the fuck, is it? fuck well, has it come back again? Like, I well, thought we'd got rid we- of this shit back in the early, early noughties. Uh, I think it's because you know, doctors are now promoting it. By
1: Michael Mosley,
0: no, not him, um, Tim Spector.
1: Oh. Kinda good.
0: Uh, but anyway,
1: anyway, stick, stick, stick with the easy, stick with the easy way to do it rather than fanning yeah. around, hoping, can taking a hope in hell. And that's I think the problem at the moment is is the fact actually, what was I listening to this morning? I was listening to something. I was listening to a podcast that a completely different podcast to what a normalist, or not that a normalist listen but I listened to a podcast about the finance and football randomly, and they were talking about something that happened, something that footballer people are investing money in certain things because footballers are saying that they've been they're promoting these items yeah. and I actually think found it quite interesting because they were like yeah people have a trust in celebrities in sportsmen and all these people and a lot of them are just pelt
0: and shite to be basically honest um, well yeah they're paid a fortune right yeah. like of course and like Tim Spector owns half of it or has shares, in it, it was his company, right? It, mm. It's stupid. Like, everyone needs to question more. If you're promoting something, what's the benefit you're getting from that? Like, what's the kickback here? Like, why do you think everyone's promoting Athletic Greens? Because they pay everyone on the podcast to put, pro- like, it's a sponsored yeah. ad. Why do you and think he's Huel? Because he freaking owns half the company. Like, Yeah, it's also the same have-
1: thing with when you get all these Towie or made-in-Chelsea stars promoting fat loss supplements. So they're getting paid. They don't have no fucking clue what's going on. They have genuinely no idea. So the sad thing is, is that in one way I sit and go, it's your own fault for following these people and believing their shite. But also I actually get really pissed off because these people are are classed as a place of trust that are actually taking the piss out of people. It's quite sad. Oh,
0: yes and no. Like, I mean, the girl from geordie shore who was promoting some skinny thing like
1: oh it's a skinny jab was it not
0: yeah she was totally conned as well like you know doctors and stuff were telling her this was a good thing to promote and it would help people and maybe she got some results she's like i didn't know what i was doing and i was offered all this money like i'm not saying it's, it's right but i think you can't expect them to be like savvy or intelligent enough to know that either so then i think who it always will come back to because realistically that stuff's not going to change like we have to accept that that is now the world that we live in it's the consumer that needs to be more like who is this person what are their credentials what is their bias towards selling me this what's the actual evidence behind it who do I trust who do I think has my best interests at heart and then just be a little bit more critical and I think this is hard to do especially like during menopause as well where you're like I would try anything at the moment so they they're targeting people who are desperate and I think that's even worse right I have a call right now um (laughs) so (laughs) it was a lovely podcast thank you for your time thank you if you have enjoyed this episode and you think someone you know might also enjoy it please do send them it and if you are interested in coaching head over to esgfitness.co.uk have a incredible day